Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 203 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am here in Lviv, Ukraine with Damien McGulian. Welcome. Hello, Johnny. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a pleasure. So you have a blog called ChasingPenelope.com, and you're from Northern Ireland, and we are here in Ukraine. How did that all start? That's a very good question. Uh, it started about three years ago. Um, I just did a lot of traveling, sort of solo, and decided to, to write about it, use Instagram for photos. I've thought about leaving Ireland and moving somewhere else for quite a few years, and I came up with a plan to, to do this. I think it was no, no, sorry, October last year, I quit my job from, I think I was working there eight or nine years, and then I went to... Poland, first of all, then through Ukraine, then through Russia, and then back through Ukraine, <laughs> and then back to Ireland uh, for a couple of months. And then I decided I'm going to move to Lviv for a while. All right. So what was that first job that you had? It was a sort of airport security system. So it was like access control with swipe cards. Uh, when you told me you worked for the like airport security, uh, I'm, I thought you you were like, like the TSA the friskers. Guys. No, no, I was behind the scenes sort of guy, the sort of technical IT sort of guy that did a lot of work and a lot of system upgrades and and that sort of thing. Rather than not sort of security guys that come along with you know to search you and things like this, but it's like the the access uh, system. Okay, so I'm assuming that was a like pretty good job, good salary. Yeah, not too bad. I think it's like everyone's job could be better, could be worse. You know, everyone thinks they're underpaid <laughs> pretty much. But again, it's it's not all about money. Life is not all about money. There's more important things to, than that. Happiness is, you know, I remember, it was, I think it was a Heath Ledger quotation about people asking him, have you got uh, like married? Uh, how much money do you have? But no one ever asked him if he was happy. And that's more important. So are you married? How much money do you have? <laughs> Millions. <laughs> Millions of grief now. <laughs> Which is about a thousand dollars, probably. <laughs> it I, might be by the time this reaches everyone. <laughs> so actually, so the one of the the reasons why Ukraine is so cheap is the grivna, their currency, basically devalued by four hundred percent in the last couple of years, last five years. So it used to be one to eight, I believe. So one U.S. dollar was eight grivna. Now it's one U.S. dollar twenty six grivna. So that's triple. So I guess whatever whatever you can buy now is basically you can buy three times as much of it now. And the sa local salary, the local pension, none of it has gone up. And I would say that is the number one reason why things are so like almost insanely cheap here. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Politics, I guess, <laughs> is a complicated story everywhere you go. But Ukraine at the moment in particular and... Things are, for foreigners, things here are so cheap that you don't even care what, you, you'll be told 600, 800, 900 grievances and you don't care after a while because you know you can afford it. Um, you stop counting or calculating in your head how much things cost, which is a bit dangerous and a little bit silly in some ways too. But it's hard for, for local people too, especially out of the big cities too. You can see it's it's not an easy life. <laughs> so the, normally I actually really hate it when things, I, I guess... In most touristy countries, the reason why, even though things are cheap, I like I have to care about how much it costs is because I really hate getting ripped off. 
you know, I hate over paying for things, uh, especially when it's, you know, then just clearly ripping off because you're a foreigner. What I like about Ukraine is, I don't know if it's their mentality or the fact that there just aren't that many tourists. They don't have two prices for foreigners and locals. So if you ask, I mean, it's like one of the few places on earth where you can buy something, probably even something on the street with no price on it and just hand them, you know, the biggest note and you'll get back the right amount of change. It's, it's almost kind of strange where, yeah, you know, especially like in the bigger cities, maybe Odessa and Kiev, you might, you know, find some people to try to rip you off. But in general, especially here in Lviv, even though we're not looking at price tags, like I don't think I've ever paid more for something than a local would. I just buy more of it and do it more often. Yeah, exactly. Um, you do, I say you, you don't like being ripped off. And again, because things are so cheap for foreigners here, even if you are being ripped off, you almost don't notice it if, if it was to happen to you, you know. I think the only times I've, I haven't really been ripped off for anything. The only time it's been maybe a possibility is taxis, but I think that's a worldwide thing. <laughs> Taxi drivers will charge you whatever they think you will pay. And if you don't agree with it, they'll not move anywhere. But they will, eventually someone will agree their price. So that's, uh, if that's the way the ta- those taxi drivers want to work, then that's their decision, I guess. So, so that was, that's probably my number one gripe in the world is taxi drivers are often the very first local that you'll meet in a country. So in a sense, they're the ambassador of that country. So if you have a bad first impression, if you feel like you're getting ripped off or that it's unsafe, you you might have a bad impression for the, for every person in that country for the rest of the time you're there. And because you're nervous of getting ripped off again, or you think you know people in this country in this culture are bad, you might start being more rude to people, or you might you know be more like hesitant to be friendly. You might you know be more skeptical of. of you know, buying things, which then kind of in turns makes the locals, you know, feel uncomfortable around you too. And it's, it's like a big kind of a, you know, butterfly effect where I really think that every country's tourism board or government should either just train taxi drivers and say like, no, this is not allowed because you might make some more money, you know, but at the end of the day, you're hurting our economy, you're hurting our reputation, you're hurting business for everyone else involved. Yeah, that's true. I guess this is why you get some official taxis or even a quoted price, a guaranteed price, and you know what you're paying. Um, or even some airports. I know Lviv Airport has a sort of tourist office in the airport. And if you go to them, they will book you a taxi and tell you how much it's going to cost. And it will be a third of the price you would pay if you just walked outside to get a taxi from there. It's I think, as you said, it's, it is the first people you reach whenever you're pretty much going somewhere. And taxi drivers in a lot of countries complain about companies like Uber, obviously being the big one, but they only have themselves to blame in a lot of cases too. Obviously, it's not all taxi drivers, but there's a large number of them that it's, again, it only takes one or two to bring everything down. It's a shame, but I think that's just the way it is. And I don't think it's ever going to change anymore at all. Well, it will change with things like Uber now. <laughs> I think the taxi drivers. I don't know if it'll ever. I don't think no if it'll ever change with taxi drivers. I think it it's apps like Uber that will force them to change because right now their business model is we have a monopoly, we have no competition, so let's just wait around until someone pays our price, and if that means we piss off some people or some people walk or they take you know alternative transportation. As long as we get one person an hour to pay us four times what it should be, we're still ahead. And I think this comes from laziness and greed. Yeah, um, it's it's similar, I guess, to places like 
as we were saying about getting ripped off, if you ever go to some of the restaurants in like main town squares, old town squares in, in some places, you'll find the service is horrendous. The food is usually not great and small portions maybe, and you're gain, being charged so much money for it. And then this is pre sort of trip advisor type things where you now get reviews of a place. And if you see it online, you know, it's got an average of 2.3 out of five with five and a half thousand reviews. You're not going to go there anymore. So it's kind of like that, I guess, where they're, they're being forced to change their sort of their old ways of thinking where it was, we'll get, you know, a hundred tourists every day coming here and they'll never know the name of this place. Probably <laughs> those days are gone, especially for younger people as well. Older people, maybe not quite so much in like retirement sort of age. You know, if you get people from, sometimes you get people from Germany going to cities in Poland and this sort of thing, maybe not for them, but for younger people, definitely they know all about obviously internet and searching for places online and knowing when you're getting ripped off in, in restaurants and, and bars. So yeah, I think as you say, Uber, it will force them eventually, but it's, Again, it, it's the point of it only takes one person every one hour, two hours to say yes. And until that's, you know, it reaches the point where they're not making enough money anymore, then until then, they probably won't change. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, as, as much as I hate to say it, it's kind of our fault as consumers, especially consumers that don't plan ahead, don't bother to do research, don't learn the language, don't learn the culture, and maybe are only here for a few days where they either don't care how much they're spending or, you know, they're just kind of like in that mindset of a, the package tourist or the, it's kind of like the weekend tourist. I think the big solution is kind of longer term, slower travel, kind of like what, what we're doing or the nomads are doing. Why did you choose Ukraine? It's very funny because everyone that's probably listening to this is going to think the same answer <laughs> that most people think. And it begins with the, the word or the letter W. <laughs> And it's the women. It's not the reason, but that's what everyone assumes is going to be the reason. And sometimes I just say that just to, you know, it's not it's not the only reason. It's one of the reasons, but not the only reason. And I did actually have an, an interview for a job in Kiev, and the guy there asked me the same question with a smile on his face. I was like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Why Ukraine? Uh, lots of reasons. All my travel, I like Eastern Europe the most. I'll, it'd be a challenge as well. It's not an English-speaking country, especially some of the smaller cities as well in the, the country where you you be lucky to find anyone ever, and and you'll be lucky to find one person a day that speaks English. So it's like life is too easy in the West. In sorry, the West inverted commas. Um, I've so yeah, I wanted a challenge, something different. Also, I I have a job now, sort of full-time job, working from home. I'm basically earning a very good salary, UK money-wise, and living in Ukraine. So I have pretty much no money problems for now. And it means that I can save a lot of money as well. I can save over half my salary uh, quite easily, maybe up to three quarters of that. So those would be the main reasons. And again, I have the freedom to move where I want, when I want, within reason. So the usual, whenever someone asks me why anything, my answer is why not. Yeah, I like it. I also agree. I think, you know, I mean, it's not a negative to be surrounded in a city with tons of beautiful women. But to be honest, this is actually probably the worst place in the world. Like, I'm talking about Ukraine in general. If you're a guy looking to go, like, clubbing and hook up, like, and have a hookup, like, one night stand. It just doesn't ever happen here. I mean, you have either, like, pros that will, like, try to get as much money out of you as possible. And that's someone you, you don't want to, you know, get ripped off by. And then um, everyone else is like, 
look, like, you know, we can date for two months and then maybe we can have a, like a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> it's kind of like that. So, you know, if someone really wanted to go somewhere and just like hook up, they should just go to the US or go to Ireland. And I, I honestly think it's, it's, it's almost kind of a weird thing where some, some guys, I think because there's so many beautiful women here, they're just like, Oh, that'll be a great place. But in reality, it's probably one of the worst places to do that. And it's so, there has to be another reason why you come here. I think that's kind of just a bonus being like, it's almost like kind of like being somewhere where there's Ferraris, you know, and Lamborghinis everywhere. And it's like nice to look at, but you know, you don't like, I don't have any intention of actually having a Ferrari or Lamborghini, but if there are Ferraris and Lamborghinis everywhere and I see them every day, it puts a smile on my face. I, I like it. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's true. I just saying it's, it tends to be all or nothing for a lot of people in Ukraine. But again, I th- I think you, you know pretty quickly if someone is trying to, you know, get something out of you for nothing effectively. And it, it's one of those questions, the sort of why Ukraine and why come to Ukraine and people talk about women. It's it's an obvious statement to make, but I, I also don't like it as well because it's a bit of a stereotype. And sometimes you see travel bloggers talking about Ukraine and they will talk about, you know, where to go in Ukraine to meet beautiful women. They don't talk about the food of Ukraine or the history of Ukraine or the culture of Ukraine. They only talk about women. And that just bores me as well. I would I would be more likely to watch a video of like a 10-minute YouTube video from someone of my one day in X. And it's a random village somewhere in Ukraine. I would find that more interesting than, you know, best bars in Kiev to meet women. I think it's a bit lazy as well, to be honest with you. But yeah, it, I mean, I think the first, if you're from, as you say, the US or Ireland and you, you come here, you definitely notice a difference. Um, <laughs> and people look different, but they also dress differently too and have different uh, style, I guess, is the word to use. Again, without wanting to stereotype too much, you don't see many people here who are out of shape, un- unfit, unhealthy. Um, and again, this is similar to what I was saying earlier that life is too comfortable in the West where you can you can pretty much do what you want when you want it's if you can't afford to eat unhealthily you don't eat unhealthily which is um, I think a lot of people back home might not like me for saying that but I think it's true I actually had this discussion with someone at the co-working space just yesterday she was telling me that well guys so first I kind of to preempt it people that work out of co-working spaces in Ukraine are very different than probably 99% of the population you know, first off, they're they're usually in IT, so they usually earn a much better salary. Second, they're usually a bit more westernized because they normally work with Western clients or for like a tech company, like startup or something. But this girl was telling me that she eats at McDonald's every night for dinner. <laughs> and I was like saying, oh, you know, I've noticed that in Ukraine, I can go in and there is the longest line from McDonald's ever out of any country I've ever seen. And it's going to have huge repercussions in the next few years. People are going to get obese and fat. And right now, it's kind of almost hilarious to go into McDonald's and see like really fit, skinny people like, you know, eating tons of McDonald's. And I almost want to do a documentary starting now, film that, and then like find these people three years from now and see what happens. Yeah, you're right. It's, I know McDonald's and companies like that will not like us for saying it, but where they go, unhealthy attitudes follow. So. It's why if you ever go to a city, for example, in Ukraine, Russia, or anywhere else for that matter, and you don't see the the food places from the West, you don't see a McDonald's, you don't see a Starbucks, 
these are the places I like going to because you're, you're actually seeing the real country, the real city then. Um, they haven't been – the problem with tourism in pretty much every country is tourism kills the country in one way or another. It's either things like getting ripped off for things or, you know, it's – I'd rather have a thousand coffee shops in a country or in a city all owned by different people rather than one shop where there's a thousand of them. I'm sure you know which coffee shop I'm talking about. But it's, as you say, come back in five years. How different will Ukraine be in five years? Uh, no one knows because there could be another two revolutions in five years. And sort of, I, I laugh at that a bit, but you, you don't know. I don't think anyone probably thought that would happen five years ago, and it has. So it, it will be interesting. It will be interesting because I know what you're saying about McDonald's and the one in walked past it quite a few times the one in Kiev and it's it's always full of people and it is it is different from home but in that the, the people that go there and you look at them and it's you know in a couple of years time what will those people look like I still think there is there's still a culture a little bit I think in Ukraine of keeping fit and healthy um, I think especially from men in terms of uh, physical exercise that a lot of people in the west don't have and I think women as well there's Again, because of the stereotype of women, I think there's a lot of pressure as well on women here to look a certain way too. Um, for them, I don't know, maybe it's it's traditional, old-fashioned sort of way for them, but uh, there's probably is a lot of pressure on them as well. Yeah, I definitely know about the pressure. I, I've spoken to people about it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think if there was more pressure on me to be in shape and exercise more often and not overeat or not eat McDonald's, I would be healthier because of it. And I think because there isn't that, you know, constant pressure, they're like, oh, you know, we accept you, you know, the way you are, you have a great personality or you have other qualities. Then I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have that extra ice cream at night. <laughs> and if I was born in a society where they're like, no, you need to work out six days a week or you need to work out five days a week. You need to have a salad for dinner and not a double burger with extra fries. It would probably be good. I mean, I, I understand from the other point of view, they're like, we shouldn't judge people the way they look. We shouldn't force people to, like, look shouldn't matter. But at the end of the day, I think the West is taking it way too far with, like, just throwing all that out the window. It's literally throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater and saying, yeah, let's just not care at all about any of that. Let's go extreme, you know, because we hated caring so much for so many generations. Yeah, it's basically like saying to hell with any responsibility for myself it's okay for me to look like this to do no effort to put in no work for it and if other people don't like me then it's their problem might seem mean but i disagree <laughs> i think i was going to use the word lazy i'm not sure if lazy is quite the right word it, it is tough though because i think you get set in your ways it's it's like habits become a routine and after a while you, things like mcdonald's all the time just becomes normal to you um, and breaking out of that is very, very difficult. But as you said, if you're in a culture where it's almost beaten into you that if you don't look a certain way or you don't exercise more, etc., then you it leads to one one way, and that's the way the West is going, where you have people, you know, too big to leave their house <laughs> for five, six years, and and people who, and if you want to, I don't want to say. You're not sort of laughing at them, but if you're trying to bring attention to it and say that it's, you know, things need to change in society, you're, you get accused of being, you know, a fat shamer or whatever. Um, and it, there are some people who do this, obviously, but your interest might be more towards actually changing things for the better and, you know, making a positive change. 
and I think it's difficult. It's I always say everyone's different. It's sort of whenever I meet people, it's like everyone is different. They all have different views on things. So it's my viewpoint might be different from someone else's viewpoint. It doesn't make either of us right or either of us wrong. It's we're both white. We're both wrong. <laughs> I think some people are just wrong and just don't realize it. I, I think a really extreme example that we see in the U.S. and not here or anywhere else, and I'm sure this is happening around Europe and other places as well. If somebody can't fit in, let's say, an airline seat or in um, an amusement park ride, it's normal now to sue that company and say, you're fat shaming us because we can't fit in this this amusement park ride. We can't fit in this seat. And it's not allowed to weigh someone before they go on an airplane, even though prices for jet fuel like are completely correlated with the amount of weight put on by plane and even and i'm saying this as someone who's overweight and i know it's not fair you know like it's by me paying the exact same amount as a girl who weighs 50 kilos or like 110 pounds i'm taking up way more space i'm taking up way more jet fuel for the travel i should probably pay more money you know and i think you know for the last hundred years or however long aviation has been around it's been fine because they just kind of average it out they're like, okay, most people are going to weigh between, you know, 50 kilos to 90 kilos or something. When that kind of range, you know, like 160 pound male, 100, you know, 30 pound or whatever. Like between that kind of range on average, right? And now that there's such big extremes, it's really going to like mess things up. You know, so seats are getting smaller and you can't tell somebody like, no, you have to buy two seats. But in reality, it's kind of like... At some point, it's going to get so messed up where nobody's taking any personal responsibility that it's just going to be a huge burden on not only the government, the healthcare system, but also businesses. I think here in places like Ukraine, it's still like the exact opposite where they're like, they will tell you like, no, you cannot fit. You need two seats. And I, and I like it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can just imagine Ryan are trying to you know, in their drop-down box, what do you weigh? And then the price changing because of this and then being charged extra if you lied when you get to the plane. And I just say it is like Russia and Ukraine. There is this sort of attitude of the customer is not always right. <laughs> Sometimes the customer needs to be told no. Um, I remember the first day I got back in Belfast, I was in a, a sort of supermarket shop with a sort of coffee stand there and it wasn't working and there was a sign that said, uh, out of order, we apologize for any inconvenience caused. And after coming from just four months in Russia and, and Ukraine, I was thinking, in Russia and Ukraine, there would be no sign that it was not working at all. If it didn't work, it would just be, it doesn't work. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and I think there's, there's a lot of privilege um, that a lot of people in the West seem to have. Um, as you say, if it's if things aren't perfect for them, it's someone else's fault. Um, and it's it's back to this suing sort of culture of, you know, it's not my problem, it's yours. You need to deal with it sort of thing. It's like the people who've sued companies like Ben and Jerry's for making them fat for or McDonald's as well. And again, personal responsibility is needed. And as you say, in Russia and Ukraine, it is what I like about this place. It's uh, similar to... Romania, as we were discussing earlier, <laughs> people will just tell you what it is. They don't sugarcoat anything. Whereas there's a lot of fake politeness in Western countries. Uh, if someone in Eastern Europe doesn't like you, they will make it known that they don't like you. <laughs> you don't know that so much in the West. And it's one of the things that I really like about here. Uh, you know exactly where you stand with people. And I think it's better. I think it's better. It's just, it's simple. It's more 
honest. Um, it's real. I would say that is probably a big part of why I like it here. I would, you know, if someone's going to ask me why I like coming to Ukraine, I think it's because it's different. And it's something I can't experience anywhere else. And mainly, I know it's going to change. And I know it's going to change to be more homogenous with the U.S. and the West. And, you know, unless there's another big war or something that happens, and, you know, hopefully there isn't. But if everything continues kind of going the way it is, there's going to be kind of like the whole world, especially all of Europe, it's going to be kind of the same. I mean, prices start kind of becoming the same. A good example of it is... Estonia, it used to be really cheap, and then they took they got on they got on the euro, and now things are pretty much almost the same price as the West of Europe. And I think that's kind of going to happen with Ukraine. Culturally, people are getting more PC. You know, uh, they're eating more McDonald's. They're going to start, you know, kind of having the same kind of privilege expectations, and things are really different. You know, it's it's weird. I mean, it's not all good. Like, I'm not one of those people who's like super, you know, conservative traditionalist, but it's and it, honestly, I probably wouldn't even want to live here full time. I think if I had to live here, especially during the winter, but just in general, if I had to live here and deal with, you know, what people have to deal with all the time for the rest of my life, I wouldn't like it. I would rather live in the U.S. or somewhere else and have, you know, that set of problems, but, you know, at least a comfortable set of problems. So I'm not saying that it's better here. I'm saying there's a lot of nostalgic things about what life probably used to be like from my parents' generation or, you know, 80 years ago that you still feel here that's refreshing and nice that we don't get back home in, you know, Western Europe or in the U.S. or Canada or really anywhere else. And it's refreshing. Yeah, it's true. It's definitely different here. <laughs> uh, I think my first time coming here, I got a bus from Warsaw to Kiev. And I remember walking through the bus station trying to find the bus. And I found a bus that I thought was the bus. Uh, I was about to get on the bus and I asked. I spoke almost no Russian then. I speak very little Russian now. And I was asking the bus driver if it was going to Kiev. And he just looked at me and just sort of shrugged his shoulders. And, went, mm. and then I was like, does that mean yes or does that mean no? <laughs> and then I was like, I'm just going to get on the bus and see where I wake up tomorrow morning. So I just say it's different. But. Everywhere in Europe, uh, everywhere in Western Europe, I don't go to anymore because to me, France, Spain, Italy, they're all the same, effectively. I can't even remember the last time I went to a country that doesn't have, sorry, that does have the euro. It's probably four or five, six years, maybe. I think the countries I've been to since then, I think places like Iceland, some of the, the Nordic countries, um, Romania, Poland, Hungary, obviously Ukraine and Russia. But... And as you say, as soon as the country adopts the euro, it just screws up the prices of everything. It just kills the tourism. Look at Greece, for example, nearly bankrupted the country twice. <laughs> so I, I agree that the, the the euro messes up a lot of countries. I actually think it doesn't necessarily make a country more expensive. I think what it does is it regresses the currency towards the mean, towards the middle. So if a country used to be really cheap, but you know the price kind of goes up, towards the average euro price everywhere else versus if they have their own currency it can be anywhere it can be really expensive like in iceland or in sweden and norway or it can be really cheap like in ukraine versus if they had the euro it would just be moderately expensive <laughs> on the kind of on the upper 
the upper echelon of you know of the middle. So things would just be like basically what we would pay back home, which is I think I'm I don't know if I'm like a little bit jaded or if I'm a bit kind of spoiled with low prices being in places like Thailand or finding these places, or if I'm just really smart for taking advantage of it. But you know, paying you know twelve or fifteen dollars for a sandwich back home to me sounds ridiculous when I can have a feast. Out here at a nice restaurant. Yeah, it's like countries that have the euro, for example, Germany versus. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, Latvia. Latvia adopts the euro. The price suddenly goes towards the Germany price, and Latvia is not Germany. <laughs> and as you say, twelve dollars at home, or you could go to maybe something like an Uzbek restaurant and eat a ridiculous amount of food. <laughs> as you say, yeah. So it's it's so it's like the the getting ripped off that we we're talking about. You can just live here pretty comfortably quite easily as a foreigner anyway, or a nomad or whatever term you want to use. And it is true. You, you Sometimes you go, to, you go to countries and you convert the price in your head to back home. And then you think, wow, did I really pay that back home for this? Obviously, I don't smoke, but the price of cigarettes in Ukraine is, it's insane. <laughs> it's like, it's like so cheap. It's almost criminal not to smoke in this country. Uh, but it's other things as well with for example cigarettes seeing cigarettes on on the menu in a restaurant i was like to anyone in the west now that seems bizarre but i can remember that being very young seeing that too and i guess maybe a bit of it is the nostalgia i guess of how things used to be in the west before political correctness i think people should be free to say whatever they want and, and in some ways to do whatever they want as long as that doesn't affect other people directly i will defend anyone saying anything they want even in public i won't necessarily agree with it but i believe they have the right to to say what they want um even quite extremes i guess maybe um i think it's it's kind of like the first thing that happens when you know a dictatorship forms is censorship of the public whether that's books or free speech dying and i think it's very dangerous some of the things that's going on around the world at the minute with people being basically bullied for having different views you can have a different view from anyone if your view is so extreme that it's obviously wrong and nonsense people will just ignore it <laughs> they'll not pay any attention to you they'll just think oh that's weird michael or whatever on the street again talking about whatever yeah i think that's a very sensitive subject but i agree where there's a lot of people you know I, I, it's crazy that this is not just happening in the u.s but i'm talking to someone from northern ireland you know which really could be a whole other world than, than you know California, but I think it's happening in more and more places where the like one side is you know basically I think what I think this is what it is is life is like a rubber band and it goes like left right left right left right and when things get too extreme on the right then people will want to bring it bring it back to the left but they don't want to bring it to the middle where it should just be fair for everyone. They're like, no, 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 let's pull it extremely right now or extremely left now. And it's just a struggle going back and forth and nobody's ever happy. And I don't want any of that, you know? And I, I really believe that everyone should be able to like calmly and rationally talk about whatever they want, even if it's something I don't agree with at all. Somebody wants to calmly and rationally, you know, talk about why you should worship the devil or why all Asian people should be killed. You know, I'm like, I don't agree with you, but, you know, I will allow you to like, not even, it's not even me allowing you to 
to have the soapbox to talk, as long as you're not actually doing any any physical harm for anyone, as long as you're not organizing people to actually get physically harmed, or you're not like physically in my face, if you want to be that crazy person, you know, screaming, you know, and like protesting or doing whatever you want to do, I don't think we should be like, you know, I don't think we should stop people from having that that speech in the first place. And I think it's a very sensitive subject, you know, because obviously, like, you know, what I said about, you know, if some, like, if there really was a group saying, let's kill all Asian people, I wouldn't like that. You know, I don't think it's good. I don't think that's good for society. It's not definitely not good for me. But at the same time, I think it's probably as bad or worse if we, like, you know, as society start deciding what people can and cannot even talk about in the first place. So I think that's another reason why I'm glad that I'm not in the U.S. right now. I'm not in any kind of Western country is I kind of want all this to blow over. And to be honest, I like as someone, you know, who sees it from like a, you know, like a bird's eye view, I see both sides are insane. The people on the right are insane. The people on the left are insane. And I think what's going to happen is either it's really going to blow up and it's really going to be bad. And I'm glad I'm not going to be there or it's kind of just going to all blow over in a few years and everything will be back in the, in the middle of summer and everything will be fine. It seems to be pretty much everywhere in the world is extremes at the moment. I just say it's either right or left. There is no middle in a lot of countries. And I just say it's it's quite dangerous. <laughs> but it's hard to, to seem like a sensible person then when, when everything is so extreme. How do you seem normal, inverted commas again? It really it really is difficult. Um, I think it's it's one of those that I think people use certain topics, usually immigration around the world, as their... Um, I think they use it as a weapon rather than actually... They don't believe it's the cause of things. I think they're just using it to gain popularity with certain groups of people, especially when most countries in the West were formed by immigration. And will it die down? It probably will. I just say it's it's probably just going through a crazy phase, maybe post-recession from 2008 craziness for a couple of years, and then it will settle down, but I don't know. <laughs> it's Politics is one of those topics that you could talk and talk and talk about for years and years and years, and you'll be going around in circles and you'll feel you've got nowhere, <laughs> pretty much. Sometimes it's easier to, just, if you're not interested in politics, just sit out of it and wait and see what happens. But, but again, that's also a bit dangerous because you look in certain places around the world, how many people actually bother to vote? So who's to blame for this? Um, I know, uh, going back to Romania again, and Romania changed, or they tried to change the law two years ago, I believe, that basically would have allowed a lot of criminals out of prison. And it was the government's party that was trying to get their one of their former leaders also out of prison. And what ended up happening in Romania was, I think half a million people were on the streets in Bucharest in winter. And again, this is... People ask me why I like Eastern Europe. In the West, I think you could make any law in the West and people will just accept it after two weeks. Eastern Europe, I think because it's been it's so close to post-Soviet times and they remember uh, family members that went through bad times and possibly knowing your neighbor could be a spy, effectively, uh, they remember how bad it used to be. And if anyone tries to change it to make it effectively what they see as going back to the old ways, they will not stand for it. And it's one of the things that Western countries need to change. You should be forced to vote, I think, in the West. Um, I, I believe Australia has something similar to this. Uh, but I, I think you're forced to vote. But if you don't vote, you get fined. And I think, why not? Why not? 
it's one of those, you know, if, if someone wins an election that only 60% of people bother voting for, did they really win? Yeah, I definitely think it'd be better if everyone voted. I think what people are afraid of is what will happen is if you have to vote, you might just like not think about what you're voting for and you might just put anything down or you might vote for, you know, your party, whether it's Democrat, Republican or whatever it is, without even looking at anything else and say, I'm going to do all that. I think it's 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 difficult. I think it's one of those things where politics is not easy. Anything as messed up as things are right now, you know, in the U.S., in you know the U.K., in Northern Ireland, out here in Ukraine, it's weird that the fact that I'm sitting in a room with a guy from Northern Ireland, we have a Muslim girl from Uzbekistan that we're, we're hanging out with. And then, you know, an Asian American guy from California, and we are in Lviv, Ukraine, and we can all go out and have, you know, like nice food. We can have this conversation. We're able to reach, you know, tens of thousands of people on a podcast that are listening from around the world. I think this is the best time ever in the history of, of humankind. You know, hopefully it'll get even better. But I really think that for most people, the fact that you know, even people who are living below poverty can be obese and can still have a TV I and mean, maybe even air conditioning four or four TVs, you know, and, you know, maybe a car as well. The fact that this is happening right now in many, like most Western places, it's like, I think there's definitely problems in the world. But at the same time, I really think this is like one of the best times. And I think if anything, it's because our lives are so easy and so comfortable that we almost kind of either expect it to be even more perfect or we find reasons to be unhappy and feel entitled. It's a cliche, but it's the smallest. The smaller things are what life is really about. You know, Um, if you only look at the big things in life, there's probably only about five times in your life you'll ever be really happy, you know. You can be happy just sitting, drinking a coffee or a tea somewhere. And I just say, if you look for reasons to be unhappy, you will find them very easily or they will find you. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you going back to, to voting. If everyone in America had to vote and you had the, a third option, which was none of the above, who would have won? I would have put money without a doubt. It would have been none of the above. I, I would guarantee it would have been none of the above. And the fact that there wasn't a better option than Hillary and Donald... It that shows kind of how messed up our system is in the first place. It, it's like, I mean, to be honest, I didn't want any. Like, I I actually didn't vote at all this year because I, basically, for me, I know, I know this doesn't make sense, but it's kind of like voting none of the above <laughs> by not voting. And if nothing else, even though I don't like Donald Trump as like a person, like I'm almost I'm kind of glad that he's president because he's basically rolling the dice. And what's going to happen is one of three things. So somehow, you know, maybe he'll somehow make everything, you know, the economy really good. Uh, the second thing that might happen is he might just completely mess everything up. And then we kind of, you know, kind of rebuild and say, okay, let's, you know, this wasn't working. Let's, let's fix these things. Or third, it, it, like it changes the whole system. And I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I actually think what's probably going to happen is, not that much, because I think no one person in the U.S. really has that much power to change anything anyways. I think our system is so complicated and convolutive that it's it kind of it's almost going to highlight how little it matters. But I think, I really believe that nothing's going to be the same after having this president. I think it's really going to shake things up. And I think it's going to change the way 
politics are, it's going to be, people are going to be kind of more transparent, more involved, you know, people are going to be more like involved. It's, it's I think whenever you get emotions in, involved on both, the, both sides, things will kind of normally change for the better. So eh, we'll see what happens. But honestly, I'm really glad I'm not there. Like I, I'm sitting this one out basically. <laughs> I'm just traveling the world, enjoying myself. It's a good way to live. <laughs> I got. Well, I suppose I'm an, an outsider to U.S. politics. I think the one thing about Trump is that no one probably really believed that he would actually win. Um, even himself, did he really believe? He says he he was going to win, and he said he was going to win. But that's I think that's just big talk. And I think everyone, it was like almost like a joke sort of thing. So I think he's got more freedom in some ways than anyone potentially in history because he could screw up massively and people will look back and say, we told you so. Whereas even if he does only one good thing in four or eight years, does that mean, it, does that count as a win? You know, <laughs> like look at Obama. When Obama went in, so many people around the world were thinking this is an amazing thing sort of thing. But then he had so, such high expectations. It's impossible to live up to those. Trump is, again, it's going at one extreme to the other. There's such low expectations of him that... If he does anything or achieves anything, it'll seem like an amazing thing. In some ways, that's his sort of greatest strength that he has. But I, I don't like the man, but you can you can appreciate the balls that he has, basically to say what he wants, when he wants, sort of thing. And it's, it's like most people in public life, they're too politically correct. They're too... You could close your eyes and or read what someone said, and you'd have no idea who they were. Um, you read something from Trump, and you know it's Trump. <laughs> Again, personalities counts for a lot, I think. You can tell a lot about someone from their personality. Because of, you know, 24-hour media coverage, internet coverage, social media all the time, people have been sort of made to be more vanilla. It's like, you know, don't say anything controversial. Don't, you know, give your opinion on anything or don't say anything that can come back to bite you in the ass. But I think people actually want to see that. They don't want... Everyone's fed up with a, a politician or someone being asked a question... And they weasel out of it. They don't give an answer. And I think in some ways that's the media's fault as well. They should be hounding them straight away, asking the same question again and again and again until they answer it. And, and it's it's not just politics. Things like sports people as well. They're, you know, they're because of all their sponsorship deals and things like this, they're under pressure to basically appear just to be like a normal, boring, everyday person. And you know that's not the case. But you, you, like you don't really feel like you know a, a person that's in the spotlight anymore. Whereas in the past, I think you might not have known them, but you'd have known what sort of person they were and what sort of personalities they were. And, you know, if, if they walked into a room, you would have an idea of what they were going to behave like. Um, you know what Trump's like if he walks into a room. Other people, you've got no clue, I think. They just appear to be, you know, devoid of any personality, style, <laughs> anything really. Yeah, so speaking of kind of like unique personalities and even culture, I think the other reason why I really like traveling to these kind of lesser travel to places is because they are so unique right now. Where even though, yeah, they're you know, Lviv is quite touristy for for being Ukraine. Really, it's still not that touristy. I mean, pretty much, I would say probably eighty or ninety percent of the people that I meet here, like uh, Ukrainians, they will tell me that you know they've never met someone from California before, or that they've never like that they haven't even spoken English to a native. Uh, not Native American, Native English speaker, <laughs> you know, and like, so uh, I so I would often go to like English speaking clubs and they would be so excited 
because what it is is normally it's a group of people who don't speak English natively trying to communicate with each other, and it's helpful because you know they can help each other, but they don't have kind of someone who speaks it normally to you know or as their native language to I don't want to say correct them because I'm not there like to to correct them. But just to have a normal conversation and then they can realize, oh, people don't, you know, this is the way people actually speak. And they don't speak, you know, in the highly grammatical way that we've been taught in school. And, and when <laughs> I say, like, when they phrase something in such a weird way that is way more difficult than it needs to be, we can be like, um, like, oh, I understand it, but you don't need to say, <laughs> you don't need to say that. You can just say this instead. And pretty much all these clubs I've been to, people have, you know, or, Pretty much, like, I hardly ever get to meet someone who is, you know, from basically not from Ukraine or not from, like, a Western world. Uh, not from, no, sorry, from the West and not from, like, the, like, Eastern, you know, part of, of the world. Yeah, and uh, saying, like, Lviv is, pro- Lviv is the most touristic city, I guess, in Ukraine, but it's... If people think it's like Prague or Budapest, it's nothing like Prague or Budapest. I think you could probably last, what, two minutes, three minutes maximum in Prague or Budapest without hearing uh, English from someone somewhere. In Lviv, you could last all all day, all weekend, and easily not hear English. And I guess it's the same for some other cities um, in Ukraine. Well, actually more so in other cities in Ukraine. I went, to, my first time here, I went to Kharkiv or Kharkov in the east i remember it was about two months after having my first russian and ukrainian lessons actually with a girl from lviv who lived in northern ireland at the time and i remember i got the train from kiev to kharkiv and then you get off this train in kharkiv and it's it's why i travel to places like this you get off the train and then you look around the train station and there's not a single word in english to be seen anywhere and everything is in Russian in Kharkiv. And as I said earlier, but the living in Ukraine is a challenge, but that's why I'm here. And it's, you know, it's it's the small things in life. So being able to go from just the central train station in a city like this, working out how to get to the underground from that city, getting even just two stops on, on the correct line in the correct direction <laughs> to get to where you're staying. And whenever you can do that, it's it's a good it's a relief you know it's it's almost like a, a drug fix in some ways you know and as you said the people here i think as well things like because it's it's relatively expensive for them to go to uh english classes for example so whenever they can meet someone who does speak english they tend to be very eager to learn and even just to practice you know and they don't take offense if you correct them or anything like this they usually want you to correct them, actually. Um, so it might seem like you're being a bit rude, but it's. I think they they prefer it. In my experience, anyway, they prefer being told the right words. Um, but English English is a strange language, anyway. <laughs> you you can never know if you're in a mode of transport or on a mode of transport. <laughs> it's like I'm in a taxi or I'm on a train. <laughs> so how the hell does anyone will learn this language? I have no idea. Yeah, I think we are very lucky that English is our first language that we're native English speakers Americans more than the Irish at least <laughs> but it's uh it's been a really fascinating life uh, can you real quick kind of just talk about how you actually earn a living while living abroad like what is your job now the easiest way to explain it is sort of IT 
technical expert. Um, I work for a company that provides sports betting information um, around the world. So pretty much everyone in the company works remotely. Um, uh, there is a, an office in London, um, but for me, I, I work obviously in Ukraine from home, uh, sort of set to UK uh, working hours. Uh, I know that um, my current boss lived in Tokyo and Vietnam, if my memory is correct, for about six years. So it's it's a lot of freedom for a job. Uh, it's better than being stuck in one place all the time and knowing the only way to escape is to leave, basically. Uh, if I get bored of life in Lviv, you know, I'm only a couple of hours maximum away from a, a train journey away from a new city. Um, travel at the weekend and move there. Um, so yeah, that's how I do it. Um, obviously, I have blog as well. It's more of a part-time sort of hobby type thing and Instagramming as well. Don't earn money from it, but I don't... I don't care really. I don't need to earn money from it. So, um, yeah, that's it. I don't, I don't do uh, online poker tournaments or anything like this to earn my, to earn my money or teach English abroad. as seems to be <laughs> a very common thing to do, mostly in Asia, I guess. I, d- I did do a course in it, but I've never used it. But again, I, I did it as a sort of, I had the time to do it, so I thought I would do it. And if if I don't, if I never use it, I never use it, sort of thing. So yeah, really cool. I, I think more and more you know, careers are becoming remote now. It just makes sense for people to be able to, to work remotely. Uh, right now, I'm organizing the next Nomad Summit conference from Lviv, Ukraine. We have another team member, Candy. She is in Bulgaria somewhere. I think she's in Bansko. And then we have Alexandria. She is in Hungary. And like, I had, like, honestly, I had to think about like locations for a while because I'm not even really sure where everyone is. And, you know, and next month we're going to be meeting up in Las Vegas. If any of you guys are going, let me know in the comments. Uh, it's going to be over Labor Day weekend. So August 31st through September 3rd in Las Vegas. You can get tickets at nomadsummit.com. I would love to meet all of you guys in person. You can meet, you know, kind of learn more about like tax saving benefits of being uh, abroad and look, you know, a location dependent and places to live and kind of how to get started with all this. But I would say kind of what we're doing is the ultimate life hack or travel hack is earning a Western salary while living in cheap places like Lviv, Ukraine, where we can save 50% or even 75% of our salary and have really unique, amazing experiences, you know, and be able to move on a whim if we never get bored. And I think, honestly, I almost kind of think it's cheating at life and we're kind of but I, I like it and, and it's available so why not absolutely it's it's like a, if if you won't do it someone else will do it and anyway as you said it, it is a bit like cheating but and as we were discussing earlier tonight you get one chance in life so and my two favorite words in the English language why not that would be a really good place to end it but I'm very curious why is your blog called Chasing Penelope you're the second person to ask me that this week <laughs> And no one ever gets close to the correct answer. And the blog's name actually comes from my ex-girlfriend. Um, and my ex-girlfriend is not called Penelope, and I'm not a crazy stalker. <laughs> uh, Penelope is its a, an ancient uh, Greek. Um, it was the wife of, I'm trying to remember who it was, Homer, I think it is. I know I've written about this on my um, on my blog Um and it's it's basically from the story. Um, most people look at it as Penelope is a reference to home because he was away from Penelope for a long, long time. But 
I think home is also a a term or a sort of a concept in the the brain. Uh, home is can be transferred to just mean happiness and where you enjoy being. So it's it's basically a roundabout way of saying chasing happiness, I guess, in many ways, and just keep on living, I guess, or living. I should be saying. <laughs> living it up in Lviv. I love it. It's, it's been fun hanging out. And to be honest, the reason why I messaged you in the first place... Uh, so basically, we just met two days ago. And I think I saw... You had commented on my Instagram or you, you messaged me. And I looked at your, your blog and I saw that you had traveled to a bunch of random places that people don't normally travel to. So I'm looking at chasingpenelope.com right now. And you know you have some of the normal ones like France... Greece, Iceland, Ireland, Italy, Norway. But then you have like Poland, Romania, Russia, Sweden, and Ukraine. And then some like really random places within those places. Uh, and I was like, you know what? This guy's like really interesting. Like why Why did he go to Moscow? Why did he go to these kind of um, out-of-the-way destinations? And I thought, hey, if this guy has this, you know, travel blog, you know, and it's I'm not even monetized. Like you're not even selling anything on here. I think you could probably do a much better job at least like collecting emails. So eventually when you do want to monetize it, you, you can. But I think by having your life kind of documented and open like this and then just wanting to share information, I, I was able to tell your personality even before meeting you. And I was like, this guy, he's adventurous, but he's also very generous and giving and wanting to kind of share the breadcrumbs of how to get to these places that most people would be kind of afraid to travel to. And that's why, as soon as I, I saw that, I was like, hey, let's meet up and let's grab dinner. Yeah, I try to write basically what actually happened, mostly the truth. <laughs> and I just say how to get to these places, some random places that, well, even I didn't know existed until a year ago, maybe. Though I've, sometimes I think when you travel, you meet other people and you think, you think you're being maybe crazy and wacky and then you meet other people and you say and then you hear what they're doing and then you sound so boring <laughs> i remember um in russia i was in volgograd in russia in january it was january and it was bloody cold and i was going from volgograd to i was going back to kazan before going through siberia and uh, i met a spanish guy and he was I think on something like his 17th or 18th trip in Russia. And the main purpose of this trip for him in Russia was going to a city called Yakutsk. And I thought about going there because it's literally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you have to get a train to something like 300 kilometers away and then get a like a four-wheel drive Jeep to take you the rest of the way. And the main thing about Yakutsk is it's pretty much the coldest inhabited city in the world. And in winter, it can be minus 60. That's Celsius, by the way, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know what that is in, in Fahrenheit. I, I would have been able to tell you that many years ago with my mathematics skills. But <laughs> I, And in summer, it can be about 40 degrees. Quick calculation, minus 60 Celsius is minus 76 Fahrenheit, which I think means effing cold. And he was going there for a week to live there for a week. So I think it's the more you travel, the more open-minded you become. And then the more you realize that there's a lot more people not only like you but sometimes doing things that are even crazier than you are and it pushes you to because sometimes you have this thing in the back of your head saying oh no that's a silly idea or i won't do that and again i come back to my two favorite words why not just do it you never know what's going to happen and again sorry again going back to talking about the blog i think 
the thing that I hate about a lot of travel bloggers and Instagrammers is that you look at it and it it look it's too polished. It just looks so fake. I would rather take a picture that looks, you know, if it's a picture of a building or of a street or whatever. Um, if that's the picture I took, that's the picture I, I will take. I won't stand waiting for six hours to get the perfect picture of somewhere that, you know, you're not actually going to see when you go there. I, I would rather post a picture that's the truth about a place. So at least then if you ever go there, you'll see the same thing, you know. It's, it's You always see these things like on BuzzFeed and all these websites, you know, about, you know, expectation and reality of places like the Great Wall of China. <laughs> and um, what's the other one? The Taj Mahal being two up there. And I think, I don't know, it's just, I, I like the the more real and authentic style of things rather than the sort of over-the-top sort of, I, I don't want to say faked, but uh, sort of not entirely genuine or honest. And that's pretty much what I try to do with, with my uh, with my blog and my Instagram. Yeah, I really like that. I really respect that. And that's why I normally don't have travel bloggers on the podcast. And even though I've had a lot of them, you know, want to come on or want to speak to Nomad Summit, I, I pretty much just tell them no or ignore them. And it's not because they don't have a big following or it doesn't look like they have this cool life or they, you know, like most of them been to a lot of cool places. But I know a lot of them, and I've, I've had to spend time with a lot of them. <laughs> and usually, they're not, like, really enjoying life. They're, like, they're spending so much time and effort trying to make it look like they're enjoying life that they aren't, you know. And I don't know if you guys can tell by, you know, this casual conversation. If you guys have been following me for a long time, you probably know by now. But I really like this life. I really enjoy it. And one of the big reasons why I have this podcast and... I you know, write on my blog and even why I had the Nomad Summit is because I want to share this lifestyle with people because I really genuinely believe that even though it's not perfect, there's ups and downs. There's, you know, sometimes I wish I could just have a normal, comfortable life and watch Netflix and order, you know, takeaway and not have to like move my luggage or, you know, deal with these things. I know for sure that on my deathbed, you know, when I'm old and wrinkly, I will... Or even if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm glad. You know, that's fine. I had I had a great life. Like I, I did so much. I did so many cool things. And I'll say the only big, the biggest probably downside of traveling as much as we do and seeing as many places as we do is the more we go, the deeper we get, the more we realize, crap, there is so much more. There, there is so much more. Absolutely. It's, it's almost like if you have a list of, you know, five, ten places you want to go or whatever, by the time you've done two of them, that list is now 17 because of the people you've met and you've heard stories about other places and it, you, you take one off the list, you add five onto it. Um, and it's, I know I got this in Russia when I was there. I did run out of time. I was a little bit time limited, obviously visa being one of the reasons. It's like the more you go, it's like, well, what's, what's, the next city like what's the next city like or even the next village like you know going somewhere random and small like this and this life is enjoyable and it is it can be stressful at times um and as you said it's like are you really enjoying it or are you doing it because you're trying to as you say impress people by your your lifestyle and the way you live or how you're showing your lifestyle to be <laughs> no one never you know shows the you know the, the 2 a.m <laughs> uh train journeys that you're on um between different cities or the researching train timetables and all this sort of nonsense. And I said, it is, it's mostly fun. And I think as well, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, it's like, we could complain about certain aspects of this life, but really we have, I, I think, no real right to. And 
bizarre thing earlier, as you were saying, you could get run over by a bus tomorrow and you'll be like, oh, it's okay. It's it's like it's like any time you, if you get on a plane and the plane isn't going to make the destination, you've pretty much no control over that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw it earlier today, actually. I was watching something on YouTube and then it flashed up a video about um, a review of Star Trek Generations <laughs> from some random guy. And it was Captain Kirk's final words before spoiler alert <laughs> he dies in this movie <laughs> was it was fun and that's pretty much all you can ask for i like it so it was fun man so many perfect times to wrap this up but i i, I honestly i'm just really enjoying like this chat this conversation and i wanted to briefly mention where we had dinner tonight <laughs> i like i feel like this is one of those things where this kind of sums up why it's so nice to travel to random places and why that bucket list or places the list of places to go never ends. Up until yesterday, I didn't know anything about Uzbekistan. I had probably never. I was I able to point on a map. I didn't know what language they spoke. I didn't know what the culture was. I didn't know what religion was. I didn't know what Uzbek food was. I knew nothing about it until I met you and you had your couchsurfing friend Maftuna show up, and we started talking about you know Uzbek, <laughs> and I was like, I had. And I was like, I have to try some Uzbek food. And I thought, where in the world can I get Uzbek food? And I realized that here in Lviv, there were like five Uzbek restaurants. And I was guaranteed, I haven't looked, but I was guaranteed you would not find five Uzbek restaurants, even in like San Francisco or LA or these big you know, places or anywhere in Ireland or the UK. You know, maybe there's one somewhere, but probably not. Like there's probably a good chance that there isn't even one, you know, in I don't know, in California, right? Like I'm sure someone's gonna look right now and say, like, oh yeah, there is one here, but like I've never I never seen one, I never heard of one. I never even if there was one, I never would have went to one if it wasn't for meeting someone from Uzbek. And after that we were just got so fascinated about it that we're like, I we have to go. So we found an Uzbek restaurant today and we literally ordered everything on the menu. Pretty much. It was easier to just say one of each rather than, you know, looking well, we went through the menu and I have no idea what to order. And then we pretty much just pointed at things and just said, Odin. <laughs> and it's it's true. The more you travel and the more you meet people, that you find out about their culture and their food and their country. And then it's like, oh, I really want to go there now. And it's like, I had no idea. Or it's not that the country didn't exist, but it's like, you know, sort of knowledge or information about the country. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to go there next. <laughs> um, I was I was absolutely wanting to go to Uzbekistan. It was on my list, but I couldn't make it. Again, sort of time reasons and starting this new job um, got in the way, I guess, a little bit. But there's always time. You never know. It's apparently, it's 50 degrees Celsius in Uzbekistan now, which, considering it would have been about minus 40 when I was was going to go there, it's like, maybe I'll go next summer. <laughs> and one thing about Lviv, I think, well, if you if you ever come to Lviv, you'll very quickly realize that the restaurants here are really good fun. Um, they tend to be a bit quirky as well and have their own sort of theme or interesting things. It's probably one of the most varied cities for food, I think, that I've ever been to. Um, I think it beats a lot of cities in Central Europe and Western Europe easily, especially for the size of the city. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I think it's about half a million, three quarters of a million people. And there's 
for example, there's only one, it's not Uzbek restaurant, but it's sort of Russian, but it's, it's more like Soviet style. So it's, it's Russian and uh, the caucuses and all the, the stands in all of Ireland. <laughs> so, and I said for there to be four just Uzbek restaurants <laughs> in Lviv, um, is crazy. They, they like their food in this city and coffee. My God. I think it, it it must be one of those cities in the world that just lives on just food and coffee, <laughs> probably more than any other place I've actually ever been to. I think. I think the only other place in the world that kind of reminds me of this is Chiang Mai, Thailand, and it's because I think there's no sea close by. There's not really any reason for people to go. There's not like a big you know natural attraction. There's no like amusement park or anything. So there's no reason to go to these, these cities. So what they do have is they have culture, they have food, they have great coffee, they have great bars. And that's the reason why they attract tourists from really all over the world. And the biggest difference, I guess, would be Chiang Mai will have a lot of really great Asian food from neighboring countries. So surprisingly, some of the best Japanese food I've had in any of the world, and by far the cheapest, has been in Chiang Mai. There are, I want to say like 30 <laughs> like Japanese restaurants in the small city of Chiang Mai and they're really good. You know, I've had Japanese friends or people from Japan, you know, go with me to, you know, to have f- food at these restaurants. And they're like, oh, you don't need to come to Japan to eat this. And it's like, you know, half the price. You know, while here in Lviv, because we're closer to places like Uzbekistan and I guess all the other stands and Russia and Georgia, they have this cuisine, which we wouldn't have, you know, in Asia or in Ireland or in the US, you know, we have food from like Mexico or, you know, food, you know, that's kind of closer to where we actually live. So I think it's a big reason why it's cool to, to come places like Lviv. I highly recommend it. I was actually planning on just talking about Lviv this whole episode because <laughs> it's so cool, but we really kind of didn't, didn't get around to it. Luckily, I have a whole blog post about it. Just go to johnnyfd.com, uh, search for Lviv, L-V-I-V. Have you written about it on, on your blog yet? I don't think I have. Um, there might. There's a couple of things that I've got sort of half written sort of things. So eventually, I will get um, a couple of bits and pieces put up. Most of it's uh, based in Kiev, and oh, there was one actually. Yeah. Oh, the Banya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're just scrolling through the blog now, and I'm remembering my first experience of a Russian Banya. I say Russian sometimes. You don't want to say that word in Ukraine sometimes. <laughs> it's like, is it a Russian banya or a Ukrainian banya? It's like sauna-based water torture, but very enjoyable it was. <laughs> so wasn't planned part of the show, but because I think, I don't know when I'll ever meet someone else from Uzbekistan. So I want her to just kind of quickly say hello. You want to say your name, where you're from, and why people should go to Uzbekistan? Okay, my name is Maftuna, and I'm from Uzbekistan as you mentioned, and uh, this year Uzbekistan is uh, on the top of many reviews about the countries, and I read a lot of articles of this year that uh, which mentioned Uzbekistan as the uh, hottest destinations of uh, 18, 2018. So one of the reasons is we now are, have had a lot of reforms, and uh, it's uh, much easier to come for foreigners now. I mean, uh, visas and stuff, so uh, s- such kind of stuff. And uh, cuisine, fresh vegetables, fruits, uh, 
the main reason, of course, and the uh, the best season is from August to October because it's really hot now. Yeah. So I know nothing about Uzbekistan, but judging about the weather being very cold in the winter and really hot in the summer, is it like kind of like a desert area? Like what 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 is the terrain? No, it's uh it's continental uh climate. I mean, we have four seasons: winter, like winter. Summer like summer, uh, spring and autumn like uh, spring and autumn. I mean, every season, as uh, it uh, it must be like it should be. All right, so I'm not gonna talk too much about Uzbekistan because I will just sound like an idiot because I know nothing about it. But I'm happy to say I finally had some Uzbek food today. Uh, I showed her some photos um, of what we ate. So if you guys are on my Instagram, Johnny After UK, you can scroll back and and look at some of them. But Maybe I'm gonna have to go to Uzbek one day to actually have some some real f- Uzbek food. It looks it's tasty, so I guess why not? Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Okay, you're both always welcome in uh, Uzbekistan, and uh, I really it's my pleasure to see you as my guests in my home and my hometown. And uh, the best plov is the homemade plov, so I will. It will be great. Uh, opportunity to make you a real homemade uh plov and uh, i think we can enjoy it all together in uzbekistan like irish man asian american in uzbekistan why not i appreciate that and i apologize so much for my ignorance on everything uzbek i remember actually you you as well because we this is how bad it was we we decided you know yesterday to go to a restaurant and you picked a ribs restaurant that only serves pork ribs. And then I was like, oh, what's this plov dish? Is it, you know, it's like it's a rice dish. And I was like, oh, is this made with, with pork? And she was like, no, we are Muslim. And I was like, I had no idea, like zero clue. And I felt so bad because there was not a single item on the menu that she could order. And that kind of just shows like how little we know about these other cultures, but also how when you actually take the time to meet somebody from that culture, that you realize, you know what, we're actually, even though we're very different, we're kind of, you know, all humans, we're all the same. And the fact that we can share a meal together, we can share, you know, these conversations anywhere in the world, it really is an amazing time. True. I think food is the simplest pleasure in life, pretty much. It's the one thing that everyone needs and can enjoy. I think as well, especially if you're, I think if you travel, you tend to be open-minded too anyway. So you're open to trying new foods without, you know, going, uh, (laughs) I don't like the look of this. (laughs) And just one thing that Maftuna said there that reminded me of something earlier, she's talking about vegetables and things and fruit and vegetables. It's one of the things as well you notice about Eastern Europe and some of the stand countries is that the food here is the fresh, sorry, the, the fruit and vegetables here are so fresh because they're grown properly the way they should be grown. And also, one of the things that the West has lost is things like, for example, in Ukraine, poor people will grow their own food. In the West, rich people grow their own food. and But people in the West have no idea which animal bacon comes from as well. And I think that's also another shame about, you know, not having a clue about life or, you know, where things come from. Yeah, I think to to wrap it up, there's so many things that we can learn from from them and kind of the old traditional ways that they do things. And there's a lot of things that they can learn from us, you know, with kind of, you know, 
I guess, bring the world a little bit more progressively in, in some things that maybe should be changed or can be changed for the better. But I think real happiness is somewhere in the middle. I, th- I think, you know, if a local Ukrainian is listening to this, especially if they're from some small village where, you know, maybe they're really struggling money-wise and they dream to be able to travel to Ireland or California or somewhere, they might be thinking, these guys are idiots. <laughs> why? Like, they probably think we're idiots for even coming to Ukraine. I actually get that a lot. People ask, why are you here? Like, why would you come here? And then at the same time, sometimes I look at them and I'm envious thinking their life, you know, there's a lot of aspects of their culture and their life that is so nice and things I miss, you know, things that I kind of reminisce about and thinking this is something that I wish we would have either kept or we would appreciate more. You know, even things like growing vegetables and having tomatoes actually taste like tomatoes. You know, these are things that we've lost back home. And I think these are kind of those traditions that it, unfortunately, is probably going to be gone from here in five or 10 years. And that's why I want to see it as much now as I can. So let's kind of take that, you know, as kind of the, the final thought is let's appreciate what we have today and travel as much as we can now. Because if you put it off for five or 10 years, there might you know, not really be anything to see. I mean, hopefully there'll, there'll always be somewhere, somewhere new or somewhere old that we haven't been, but a lot of things are going to be homogenous in five or 10 years. So enjoy it now while you can. I've had the exact same actually in Ukraine. It's like, it's the, that question, why? It's like, why are you in Ukraine? And the people look at you like you've got four heads or something. Um, but I guess it would, it would be the same the other way around, you know, if Whenever some people are like, oh, I really want to go to Ireland. And I'm thinking, you like eight months of rain? <laughs> so it's, you know, again, everyone's different and why not? I love it. Maybe we should just call that episode, Why Not Ukraine? <laughs> so thanks for listening, everyone. Big thank you to Damien from ChasingPenelope.com. Big thank you to Maf Tuna from Uzbekistan. Dot com. <laughs> I don't think that's actually her site, but you can check it out see where it goes. And thank you to Ukraine for hosting us. It's been a lovely, beautiful city. Thank you to all of you who listen to podcasts, especially the ones who take the time to leave reviews. You guys are the reason why we can grow and just more people can find the show. Share this episode with whoever you think might enjoy it. Take a snapshot or a screenshot and share it on your Instagram, your Facebook, wherever, wherever you hang out. And I will see uh, all of you somewhere else somewhere in the world. Till then, keep traveling like a boss. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.